Hey, as we're getting into our Messy Grace series this morning, it is a great joy to be worshiping with you. And if you've never been here before, if it's your first time, we want to, as a community, welcome you together. Ready? One, two, three. Welcome home. This is your home. Make this your spiritual home. The place where you find rest in the people with whom you can grow in your faith in Jesus. Amen. Well, as we get into our new series here this morning, the first thing we want to do, we want to take care of the kids. Our Kid Street staff in the back of the room is going to welcome all kids ages 4 through 10. Now, this is a very loose 4 through 10. So if you're younger than 4 and older than 10 and you'd like to go to Kid Street, definitely make yourself at home there and follow our amazing Kid Street staff in the back of the room. We're going to let them go and they'll return very shortly after the message concludes during our amazing next song. Well, as Heather said just a couple of minutes ago, we are sticking with a very important theme for the next three weeks, and that is the messy grace of God. The idea that God has come to us where we are and who we are, and he's given us a brand new identity in Jesus Christ. And in fact, as we kind of dig in this morning, what I want to draw your attention to is the idea of identity. This is where we get to ask ourselves, who am I? And we get to find out who we are by the influences around us and by the people who speak into our lives. I had a mentor once who said to me that you are defined by, you are identified by the people you hang out with and the books you read. Now think about that for a second. He said your identity is locked into, your identity becomes the people you hang out with and the books you read. And here in our faith family, we understand that's true. We read this beautiful book called The Word of God, and we hang out with each other in family, and that gives, as family, and that gives us an identity, doesn't it? It's kind of like when you're out on the road, and you see how people identify themselves by the vanity plates they put on their car. In fact, when you're out on the street, you might find Chewbacca rolling by in a Rolls Royce. You might find Godzilla in a Chevrolet. You might find Darth Vader or Gandalf, and notice on Gandalf's plate right above, it says, you shall not pass. And then as you go along, you can see how classy vanity plates are. You can even see that people declare how smart they are by saying, I'm smart or I'm smart, if they have a little spelling to, uh, issue there, right? And then, of course, we want to recognize the blondes in the room, even the ones who put their license plates on upside down. Let's give them a round of applause as well. Thank you, blondes. Thank you. You're amazing. Love you. But here's what we do. Here's what we do in the church. We find identity in the church. Now, this is not a new idea for us. This goes way back to the time of Jesus and even beyond. Now, the world that Jesus came into was a world that was dominated by the Roman Empire. And in fact, in the Roman Empire, the way a person identified himself or herself didn't necessarily uh, find an attachment in relationships. In fact, a person could have relationships happen in different ways in their life, and the culture would consider that normal. But on the other hand, you have this Jewish culture that's right there in the middle of the Roman Empire's conquered territory, and the Jewish culture very clearly defined things as God defined it for them. There are males, there are females, and marriage looks like this. Whereas the Roman culture had different, diverse ideas about those concepts. And in fact, what happened, because of the nature 
of the early church and of the original uh, faith family from which we came, trying to speak to and protect and preserve the original teachings from God, we developed this temptation. And the temptation is this. It's to look at ourselves and people who disagree with us and consider an us and a them. Think about this for a second. Think about the last time as a follower of Jesus, if in fact you're a follower of Jesus here in the room, think about the last time you would have thought about another person as a them and thought about yourself as an us or me and found a disparity there, found a break, found a difference. This is the world into which Jesus was born. Now look at what the Word of God says. We'll go back to John chapter 1. The word says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what, church? Read this. Grace and truth. Let's say it again. Grace and truth. This is what defined Jesus' ministry. Grace and truth. You see, the thing is, though, in the church, we have this temptation to break apart grace and truth. And make them two different things. And in fact, I want to share with you just a little illustration. If I can get some distance here on my microphone. I want to share with you what grace might look like and what truth might look like. In fact, in the modern church, sometimes we're tempted to think of grace as this. As a plush, squishy, plush doll. Something kind of loving. And something that comforts us and takes care of us. Can I throw this to you, Eddie? Will you catch it? Excellent. Good. Thanks, brother. All right. Grace is easy when it's like that. It's easy to pass around. And we're also tempted to think of truth as what? The hammer that needs to fall on somebody before they're acceptable before God. But God doesn't say this. In fact, grace and truth come together hand in hand. Okay, Eddie, ready? No. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to throw the hammer. But the thing about grace and truth is this, is they come together as one. Look at what the scripture says. John chapter 1, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received what, church? Grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Now that's the first grace that's being referred to here. And then he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This idea of grace and truth coming together as one thing means something in the church. And the church does not have a right to take truth and make it into a weapon. Now, what does that mean? It means that when I'm in conversation with someone with whom I disagree about very fundamental things because of the faith I have and the faith that they have in something different, it doesn't give me the right to take truth and turn it into one of these. I see truth and grace together as a package. And truth and grace together come as Jesus Christ. And that grace and that truth is for all people. Now we want to be challenged together this morning, you and I, in the way that God sees all people. Now this is all people. When God looks at us, he sees all people, all the people he has made. And how many people has God made, church? He's made us all, hasn't he? No matter what we believe. There's a gentleman named Mark Yarhouse. 
He's a doctor. In fact, he's a psychologist on staff at Wheaton College. And he's done some pretty extensive work about what's called a gender atypicality. Gender atypicality. When gender is changed into something non-traditional in our culture, and the culture recognizes it. But Mark brought this very important concept to light in some of his work, the Our People concept. Now here's what that means in a nutshell. It means that we gather together with people with whom we share a belief, a commonality, and we begin to see ourselves as our people. And we begin to see other people that are not a part of that group as those people or the them. And we begin to see diversity and we begin to recognize that safety and power is only right here where I am with my people. And that it's not over there with those people. I would suggest that along with the rest of our faith fellowship, that around this concept of gender atypicality, the church has developed a bit of an attitude where the church is tempted to bring the hammer instead of seeing truth together with grace as one concurrent concept. Here is what someone who struggles with gender atypicality struggles with. In fact, gender atypicality, when you as an adult see this out in culture, what we don't see is what happens underneath, behind the surface. Mark Yarhouse says this, that people who are gender atypical struggle and that they need intimacy just like you and I do. In fact, when we come in for church on Sunday mornings, it takes everything I've got in me not to give you a hug because of social distancing. And the day the governor finally pulls the plug on this thing and says you can hug each other, I'm probably going to hug you guys a little too uncomfortably long. <laughs> it's been too long, hasn't it? We need intimacy. We were made for it. People who struggle with gender atypicality also need intimacy. They also need spiritual answers to spiritual questions, just like we do. They want to know that they belong to a group of people, just like we do. They need community, and they need people around them just like we do. And they experience hurts and disappointments just like we do. In fact, the Art House would even suggest this, that the LGBTQ plus community has formed because they find all of these needs met in some way, in some temporal human way. This is where folks that identify in that way, find community and find needs being met. In fact, Yarhouse even draws attention to a one particular interview he did where he asked this question, what kind of support would you have liked from the church? And look at this answer. The person says, someone to cry with me rather than just denounce me. Hey, it is scary to see God not rescue someone from cancer or schizophrenia, or gender identity disorder there in parentheses. He says, but learn to allow your compassion to overcome your fear and repulsion. Learn to allow your compassion. Now let me ask you a question. When you look at the life of Jesus, which we just did as a faith fellowship for the last four weeks, when you look at the life of Jesus, 
And you see him play out grace and truth together in human form. Do you see more judgment or compassion? Do you see more condemnation or love and forgiveness and grace upon grace? This is a life that God has called us to. And when we're tempted to think of an us and them mentality, when we're tempted to bring the hammer of truth down, sometimes God's just setting us up for a conversation or an opportunity to serve in which we can demonstrate the fine balance between grace and truth. That is Jesus. Jesus never failed to tell the truth. He always enveloped it in his grace and he usually did something to serve the person while or before giving that grace and that truth. There's something that we're tempted to forget in the churches we're doing our teaching and that is that grace comes with power. When the early church got started, this is what power and grace looked like. Look at this scripture from Acts chapter 4, the story of the new church. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was what? So powerfully at work in them. God's grace is powerful. So the hammer, the hammer of truth doesn't exist. Instead, there's a hammer of grace. And what does that hammer do? It knocks away everything that would keep people separated from the abiding, everlasting love of God through Jesus. Think about that for a minute. What if the hammer of grace and truth in you was used to knock away everything that stands between another person and the abiding and everlasting love of God through Jesus? even and especially as that person is a card-carrying member of the LGBTQ plus community. Think of the opportunity God has given us and the tools he's given us. Grace and truth in Jesus, not as a weapon, but as a tool of power. God's power abiding in you and in me. God's power to take away the hurts. God's power to take away the confusion and isolation. God's power to take away the falsehood and the deception of our culture when it arises. God's love to come and bring comfort. Think about how God has given us that power through his work in us, in the Holy Spirit, in faith in Jesus. Think about how that frees you, my friend, from the burden of judgment. Because judgment belongs to who? To the Lord, not to us. To us belongs what? Grace and truth. And in fact, as we encounter people in our life who are members of the LGBTQ plus community, I want to challenge you to do this as you think on that person and pray about that person's life. Use that person's first name and think of that person in this way. 
In fact, I knew a young lady many years ago by the name of Lori. She was a great friend to our family down south. She was a member of the LGBTQ plus community. We got to hang out, we went to dinners together with our friends and our family. We spent time together and got to know each other. And God gave me the opportunity to demonstrate his grace and truth in that relationship, conversationally, over a number of years. So I'm gonna use her name, I'm gonna invoke her name today, and just put an example up on screen of what this might be like. Lori was created in the image of God and is therefore a bearer of God's image. God loves Lori deeply and desires a relationship with her. God will better, or Lori, Lori will better accept that she has a loving Father in heaven if she experiences love for me. Now I want to challenge you to do something this morning. Pick that first sentence. Think of a person you might know in the LGBTQ plus community. Say that person's name out loud and read with me this whole sentence. And if you don't know someone, just say a name, any name. That person may come along sooner than you expect or realize. Let's do this together. First sentence, ready? One, two, three. Lori was created in the image of God and is therefore a bearer of God's image. Now, in the next two weeks, we're going to unpack even more of God's grace and truth around this topic. I'm so proud of you for being here with me this morning to talk about this. Christians often see this topic as a hot potato and pass it on. But you've taken it on full bore, and I'm so proud of you for that. God is going to work amazing grace and truth in us as our faith in Jesus grows. Amen.